It didn't take much more than a bottle and two chairs to make a speakeasy. This is what Daniel Okrent said in his book, Last Call, The Rise and Fall of Prohibition. Today, join us for some stories. Get your own bottle, glass, mug, and relax. This is Speak Easily, and I'm your host, Krista Stoffer. Inappropriate things always. Some inappropriate things. Give me a little. Should we warm up? Yeah. Oh, yes. Where's the. You know, I literally just figured out how to do that because. Really? Yes. My voice teacher would always try to do. And I could not do it. Now, as an adult, I think it's like I had to mature. I had to turn 30. I think it was literally 37 when I figured out oh, how to do it. <laughs> we make people do that in class. <clears throat> but you can tell I'm still sort of gravelly, so I want to get okay. it. Well, it's also early morning. <clears throat> and I don't drink coffee. That's part of my problem. Mm. So. That's not a problem. Yeah. It's a good thing. Because then you become addicted. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem was I was addicted to Diet Coke, and I had um. to give it up. But it's been 29 years, <gasps> two months, and 21 days. Since you quit Diet Coke? But who's since, I quit, since I quit caffeine. Oh, Completely. Yeah. It was the first the decade. Yeah. January 1st, 1990. Oh, oh I was, that's why I wondered, like, how yeah. did you know that? And, my, nep- <laughs> and uh, my nephew was born that day, my first okay. nephew, my only nephew. Yeah. On that side of the family. And I woke up from this, like, Diet Coke stupor from college, and I was huh. like, wow, I got to give that up. And then I realized my eldest sister, who's 10 years older, had a bad tab addiction. And I was like, okay, so maybe this is the genes in yeah. the family. And so I went cold turkey and just never went back. Really? Mm-hmm. So, like, tea and everything is all caffeine-free? All, herb, yeah. all herbal tea? Yeah. I, I, I gave it up for a day after my second kid was born. Mm-hmm. I called a friend of mine. I'm like, so if you're going to break your caffeine, like, you know, yeah. um, ban, right. what would you drink? Uh, and he's like, definitely a double shot, you know, espresso oh my little thing from, mm-hmm. you know. So I pulled into a UDF because I was on the phone with him. Yeah. And I went and I opened it up. You know, like when those frappuccino, go- whatever the hell they're called, and I drank it, and I got like a buzz, like you wouldn't believe, for like three hours, and then I cried <laughs> so, so hard, <laughs> and I was like, that was so not worth it. Oh, it so not worth it. No. Yeah. So. Oh gosh. But I do eat a lot of chocolate. That doesn't. That's like trace amounts, though, isn't it? That's but that's not. my. That is my vice. Mm. You're allowed. I don't smoke. I don't drink much. I don't drink caffeine. I will drink. I can't get through a day without drinking. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> anyway, so that's who I am. That's all you that's need to know. We're done. We're on scene. Well, with us today is Ruth. Thank you for coming to speak easily. This is this is my little labor of love, and you are a big part of this. Honestly, there's there's pieces of my life that I I think contribute to something that's so crazy meaningful but like all of the little pieces together because you and I met has it been a year it's not even been a year yet not quite a year not quite a year since we we did the videos for articulation Mm -hmm. but you Acacia works for you I've known Acacia for glory 10 years Mm -hmm. probably Ben and I have known each other since high school certainly a little way back like that's a long time way too way back um but just every, like, how small our circles are. You know what I mean? You know our friend Ken, who works with Ben. Yes. Like, I mean, it's just this crazy small world, and I love it. It's so much fun. And you get to teach people something that is amazing. You teach people how to sp- how to speak, essentially, right? We, I, I like to say people know how to speak. We help them to speak better. Yeah. 
right? Well, kind of like that BSF commercial, you mm. know, like the we don't what? make the whatever, but we oh. everybody's everybody's born speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but it's about landing the message, being resonating, mm-hmm. getting to your goals, Just knowing how knowing how to engage an audience, yeah. getting out of yourself, understanding how to unpack complex things in a simple way. Those yeah. are the kinds of things it. we love to do. I love it. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm a freak of nature because I enjoy public speaking. So whenever my husband is trying to relate something to me, like, oh, it's like getting up in front of an audience. I'm like, uh-huh, that's great. <laughs> He's like, wrong example. Yeah. I, I, you and I share that. I, I yeah. don't have any fear I love in front it. of an audience. I feel very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're weird, though. Well, I, I think, we? I mean, I think I, I come by it pretty naturally, even though it might be weird. My father was uh, an orator and a legislator and a litigator and oh a gosh. speaker. And a, yeah. I was drug, dragged. What's the word? Not drugged. Not drugged. Dragged. <laughs> no, never been drugged. Thank God. So, I was dragged to talks my whole life yeah. from a young age. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I knew. An orator. Wow. He loved uh, to think that yeah. was his sport. And he belonged to a group that delivered papers to each other really? on topics unrelated to their professions. And he belonged to Rotary for 55 years. His okay. greatest moments were bringing me home the little Rotary flyer on Mondays because he would always go to Rotary mm-hmm. Monday at noon. And here's who the speaker was. And you should follow this person. And But that but that whole experience, yeah. it, you know, it took us to Cuba. It took him to. Really? I mean, he's okay. done. He, he's um, passed away. But mm-hmm. so I would say he's a. Fairly important part Slightly, of that. Slightly, yeah. Yeah. Because you don't hear that often. No. I mean, are there, who would you he, consider today to be an orator? Like, do people still Well, do you know, that? good politician, good, good politician. <laughs> are, are they out there? Have to be good orators. They do. Yeah. Uh, he was in the legislature for eight years. Okay. Um, he was the U.S. attorney, so he had to defend cases. Mm-hmm. He ran a law practice. Yeah. Uh, so those sorts of folks who rely on the oratorical art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So So are you from here originally? Did you grow up in Columbus? So we moved here when I was two. Okay. From Sydney, Ohio. Okay. And so this is home. I mean. Yeah. And uh, it was 1970. Do the math. I turned 50 last year. Yay. 50s nifty. And so Columbus. Did you get like flamingos in your yard? No, I did not. Okay. (laughs) But I did have a karaoke party. (gasps) Did you really? What was your token song? Uh, Oh, Cecilia. Oh, I love song it's a, it's a great one. Oh yeah, yeah. my favorite i just love one. the rhythm yes got to get the drums out though yeah <laughs> all right anyway so you moved here when so you were two yeah when i was two mm-hmm. and uh went away to college came back and that was 1990 so i've been working yeah. ever since i uh came back from college and you went to miami i went to miami of ohio of ohio yeah yes okay cuz we i mean I don't think around here we have to clarify that often yeah, but no. it was in the it was in the uh, crossword puzzle on um Saturday morning. Really? Uh, Miami University State. Oh. But isn't Florida, I mean, that's still, that's Miami University also, isn't it? University of Miami. Oh. Oh. Okay. And this is, this is uh, a tribute to the Indians who were settled in Ohio. Right. Right. As, okay. I got that. Excuse me. Our college just changed its name, so we're all still thrown off. Because we went from Otterbein College. I graduated from Otterbein College. Now it's Otterbein University. Right. And my sister went to Otterbein College. Did she? She was eight years older. She graduated okay. in 83. So okay. What did she study? She studied horses. 
That it, they do have a great mm-hmm. equestrian program. Yep. It's odd to the, the school to be known for theater yeah. and horses. You know, <laughs> <It is>. like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Is there a horse theater program? <laughs> no, but really there are. There's there Equus. There's a <laughs> horse therapy programs now yeah. really? all over. Which is actually very cool. That's a really Using uh, equine science to help with leadership. and yeah. oh, A lot of okay. autism. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids that suffer with yeah. autism do that kind of behavioral therapy, don't they? Yeah. And then they take, like, you know, executives through. Do they really? Yeah, I have a friend of mine out in um, Gahanna that does it. Really? Mm-hmm. That does horse therapy with executives? Exactly. Yeah. They may not ride, but the yeah. relationship you have, to, I, this is not my area of expertise. I shouldn't be going there. <laughs> but, you know, horses pick up everything. They do. It's just sort of the soma and the mm-hmm. presence that you bring. The horse is going to totally know it and they're going to connect with you or not. And so there's a bunch really? of stuff that unpacks underneath okay. there. Mm-hmm. That would not work for me. I am allergic to horses. Well, I was so too growing up. So that would be very up. bad. <clears throat> oh, you were? She would come home from the stable and I couldn't get in the car because I would just start sneezing. Yeah. I, was, I didn't even have to be around a horse. It I would was just, just be around the dander. Yeah, that's. I'm the same way. Yeah. Doug, my husband took me to uh, Scioto Downs once when oh. we first got married. Once and only Between once. the dust and the horses. It was like, <laughs> go! <laughs> it was terrible. It was, yeah, I'm a hot date when we go to... Down. So anyway, so you go to Miami. What did you study when you were there? Speech communication. <gasps> That's a good field. Well, it was like <laughs> kind of a default, right? Because yeah. um, I didn't get into the business school. I wasn't okay. a particularly great student okay. in high school. Mm-hmm. And that's everybody that knows me. Where knows. did you go to high school? Uh, I went to Columbus School for Girls. Okay. And I wasn't a particularly great student. I always like to say that I started there young enough that everybody that came in after me was that much smarter. We only had 58 girls in the class. Oh my gosh, uh, we had a particularly smart class. Yeah. But so I went to Miami and I learned how to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so I was on lecture board. Imagine that. And okay. Little Sibs weekend mm-hmm. and campus activities mm-hmm. and the Panhellenic Council. And, yeah. Uh, I started a service network. Cool. Um, so that's kind of where I got my... Training yeah. was doing stuff, not necessarily right. learning. Just being involved. And mm-hmm. were you in a sorority there? Then I was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and uh, I made salads for three weeks at Smith's Deli. On oh. Street. Okay. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to be here a long time because yeah. I am not going to find a job. This was the end of 1990, mm-hmm. summer yeah. of 1990. And a friend of mine from Miami called me. This is where you want to go. And says, hey, there's a job. I don't know if this is a question. I have to stop. This is the question you have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But this is what I train my speakers to do. If you keep talking, get a stop and say, is this really where you want? Like, is this a question you want I, me to answer? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I'm, tra- I'm trying to coach myself. It's a horrible thing. It's not a horrible thing. Because what this, this is doing for me, it's actually teaching me how to actively listen. So this is good training for me as well. Uh, so I got a call that a political campaign needed a scheduler. And the woman okay. that was running happened to be a mother, small world, mm-hmm. of a classmate of mine. Of course. And she was sort of a sacrificial lamb, the state mm-hmm. treasure race. Okay. And I walked in on a Sunday, Saturday morning, <clears throat> and the campaign manager, this, you know, mm-hmm. campaign managers were friends. I was friends with somebody that worked for another campaign. I wasn't active politically at all. My father yeah. was active yeah. before I was born, but it wasn't like my thing. Mm-hmm. And I walked in the crappiest, crappiest office at 80 Sprod, which is now, you know, palatial um, condos. Yeah. And the guy was late. It was like 10 o'clock on a Saturday. I remember sitting in the hallway going, oh, my God, this is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. And our, in, our interview was like 20 minutes long. <coughs> and he was so desperate for somebody. He hired yeah. me and I started the following Monday and I had to tell Smith I couldn't make salads anymore. 
Poor Smith. And that was the last, that was the first and last interview I had for really? years. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. So it just kind of led one thing to the next then? Right. What did you have to do is, I mean, literally scheduling. Like, So for two months, all I did was uh, you, and I will tell you that I always think, I still think today, like the hardest part of so many projects mm-hmm. is getting it on the calendar. Yeah. Is the scheduling and coordination yeah. and logistics. And so I I say that was probably a really good place to start a career, was appreciating how difficult that was. And in the 90s, I mean, you weren't doing a, a system on a computer, were you? No, I mean, we were all, on the phone. Right. And there was not even email. No. It was all on the phone. It was all on the phone. And people would email, you need write a letter, invite you to a, a yeah. campaign thing or whatever. And, and you'd have to. Yeah. We didn't do email. You know, email didn't come around until 1997. Yeah. So we would, Glory. so I would organize the schedule of mm-hmm. where she went. There was a driver who also doubled as the policy director. I mean, there were like three of us. <laughs> and we lost. The campaign mm-hmm. lost. Okay. And then when you are in a um, statewide race and mm-hmm. you lose and your other candidates win, yeah, they say, come over and help us transition or help okay. us. And so I went around the corner one day and sat down. They were literally have these sort of series of sit down moments, mm-hmm. like sit there. Yeah. So I sat down. And they put a bunch of resumes in front of me. And it was the transition uh, between Celeste and Voinovich. Oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> and he had been in office for eight years. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of new yeah. people that were going to get hired. And I read resumes during the transition. And then one day they the governor's office opened and they're like, sit here. So I helped to open the uh, governor's office. Oh, my gosh. January of 1991. Yeah. And I finished transitions work for mm-hmm. nine months and then I got the job I really wanted at the time which was to lead kind of the nonprofit outreach mm-hmm. I was really interested in service and yeah uh, coincidentally about two months later on my desk dropped this huge packet of information called AmeriCorps uh-huh. so this was 1992 yeah and every governor's office had to identify somebody to implement it in their state mm-hmm and I was maybe 24. I had oh no business. <laughs> so I started reading and yeah. going to meetings. And so I implemented I implemented AmeriCorps in Ohio. Oh, my gosh. And we so hired cool. the staff. The executive director last, she last in that job like 23 years. Wow. Um, we applied for the first grant, got the first federal funds to support yeah. it. So projects like City Year, and, mm-hmm. which are still ongoing. They are still. I did not execute any of it. I wasn't a part of the implementation. But you lit the fire yeah. to make it all. And uh, yeah. and then I was done, and I quit. Okay. And then the governor kindly, he was just a wonderful man and a great mentor, said, you can't quit. I said, I did. I finished AmeriCorps. I did yeah. the transition. I really want to go work at a nonprofit because so, mm-hmm. I was going to go work at City Year. Yeah. And he's like, you can't quit because I really need you. It was an election year. Mm. Stupid me. Who knew? <laughs> uh, and he said, I, I really need you to take care of Mrs. Voinovich. I had done a lot of, mm-hmm. um, started to do PR and traveling with her yeah, in that yeah. role. And uh, she needed to make some changes. And so I made a really tough decision to stay. Wow. And I moved my office to the governor's residence. And I worked in the servants' quarters oh my for the next two and a half years, writing her speeches yeah. full time, doing her press, doing her travel. And she was about one of the most wonderful people you could ever work with. Is she still for. alive? She is. She is very good. Yeah. Is she still here in Columbus? She's in Cleveland. In Cleveland. Okay. Is that where they were from? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> I did a political camp. I did a national political campaign in 1996. Mm-hmm. I traveled to 78 cities and 27 oh, states gosh. in 10 weeks. 
between the convention and the election, and then I was done. Yeah. And then I really quit. And I went to work for United Way for two years, raising major gifts. But then I got like my, I wanted to get back to my communication roots. Yeah, yeah. So I got recruited by an entrepreneurial marketing firm Mm. that wanted to start a PR division. And so that was my hustle. So I kind of say like I've done this startup thing several times. I started up AmeriCorps. Mm -hmm. I started up this PR division. Yeah. And then they um, crashed in the dot-com bubble. And I had just gotten engaged. So this was January of 2001. Mm-hmm. No, maybe 2002. January 2002. Mm-hmm. And almost like exactly this week. Like yeah, uh, the anniversary. Time, yeah. I say March 1st. It's right, the anniversary. Right. And I said I have to pay my bills and plan my wedding. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I took one client that I knew needed help. I waited for another client to call me that I knew was going to need help. Mm-hmm. I scrapped with one other project, and uh, my husband, my then fiance, bought me a desk at the Wasserstrom secondhand sale (laughs) down there on West Broad Street, and I had a laptop, and I started. And that was the beginning of Milligan Communications. That was 17 years ago. Wow, that's awesome. So that's the first first big. Yeah, that's the first start of it. Mm -hmm. And so then when did articulation come from all of that? It didn't. It came okay. from it came from um, a moment, a uh, February of two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like last week. This is your time ago. of the year. It is. These are my anniversaries. <laughs> okay. Well, now it's your podcast with Christy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always remember. Write it in a journal. <laughs> I um was watching a TED talk in bed with my husband. Okay. It was a rainy, crappy. Saturday as, as in is. February, yeah. as they always mm-hmm. No, I mean, I get it now why people leave Kauai in January and February. <laughs> uh-huh. Shitty months. Yeah. And he fell asleep. I always say, like, I heard this loud roaring noise. And he was snoring. Mm-hmm. And he fell asleep to Elizabeth Gilbert's, you know, talk about eat, love, pray. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. And But it gave me license to kind of, I'd never been on the TED site before. Like, mm-hmm. So if you think about the timing, Facebook really started kicked in around 08. Okay. That's when, I mean, it kind of was launched yeah. in 07. People started joining in mm-hmm. 08. So I, so people started sharing talks. Yeah. Because the TED Talks went online in 2006. Okay. Then Facebook kind of takes hold in 07. And then people on. start to really connect mm-hmm. those two things together. And yeah. so I was like, hey, let's watch this talk together. And he was kind to want to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I found myself pouring through the website. Like, I can still remember. Mm. I've told this story a hundred times. I can mm-hmm. still remember, like, clicking and clicking. Yeah. And there was this tiny, tiny little blog that it said, join us in uh, doing a TEDx event. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, the blog was really not sophisticated. <laughs> it was just like a little yeah. block of text. And click here if you want to apply. So I clicked on it. And I was like, I can Mm-hmm. Like this is so my game. Your, this yeah. is so my jam, yeah. and it brought back, reflecting back to my father, mm. the group that my dad was a part of um, didn't admit women, the group that oh, wow. shared topics okay. on, on yeah. things unrelated, and I always wondered where's that, where's my group mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, and when I looked at that TEDx application, yeah. it answered the question. Yeah. There's my group, right? So I started syndicating, sharing it, and got the Wexner Center to kind of be a kind partner mm-hmm. and we hosted the first one six months later on the stage of the film and video theater mm-hmm. who and was my, your first speaker 
well, I'll, I'll answer. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, Sorry, I get so excited. No, Sorry. but the more, more important thing was I, I needed a partner mm. to get there. Okay. And so I cold called kind of Nancy Kramer, who was the founder of Resource, okay. which is now part of IBM. Because mm. she, she was the TED person in town. Okay. She had been to the conference many years mm-hmm. leading up to that day, maybe six or seven years. And the license that I wanted to get was for over 100 people. And it's still one of the steadfast rules today of TEDx that if you want to host over 100 people in your audience, you have to have been to a TED conference. Okay. Because there's some pretty specific mm-hmm. things, and we can talk about how those are permeating, like, everyday conferences now. Yeah. Um, pretty Some pretty specific things you need to absorb mm-hmm. by going to one. And she had been. And I called her and I said, hey, I got this license, mm-hmm. but they said I need a partner to do. I thought, why would I want to do this for over, for under 100 people? It right. seems like a lot of freaking That's a work. Lot of work, yeah. And she's like, sure, I'm in like 100% enthusiastic. And still wow. to this day, she's very cool. as enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're transitioning but um, into new leadership. Mm-hmm. But so she and I hosted the first. We had eight speakers on the stage at the Wexer Center. Matt Slaybaugh, the founder mm-hmm. of Available Light, gave a poem. Uh, about the absurdity of writing poetry. And he turned that into a show. He, yeah, yeah, I think. And he kicked off then seven other. There's John Glenn, who was interviewed by Mike Curtin. We went and uh, we didn't have to beg him. He was so, so gracious oh, so and cool. generous. And he and Andy <clears throat> came and sat in the Aww. front row and helped us like really launch it. Yeah. And there was a head of the School of Architecture, the physics chair, a, a scientist from Battelle, a librarian from OCLC. And a dance and technology professor from Ohio State. Oh, my gosh. I think there might be missing one in there. But that was the group. And it was wow. like we stood on stage afterwards and we're like, that kind of worked. Didn't <laughs> and we had three. We got 300 people to show up. Wow. The first 50 people to buy a ticket were the only 50 people in town that knew about Ted. Mm-hmm. And then I had to explain it 250 times over <laughs> to everyone else what this thing yeah. was called Ted. Yeah. And I tried to coach the speakers. Uh-huh. And I wasn't that successful. Like okay. there were a few that like, like. I don't use names. I only share behaviors. But one of them showed up the day before at rehearsal with two full talks. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what did I do wrong in helping that person get ready? And I looked around for someone to be our content Mm -hmm. partner. Right. And I didn't find anyone. Mm. There was, like, the media training folks on one side of the spectrum. And then there was, like, the speechwriter, which I had been a speechwriter. And if, you, if you're a speechwriter, you got to go really deep with that person mm-hmm. and know their voice and their cadence right. and their preference yeah. and their stories. And mm-hmm. and that wasn't – I didn't want to write a TED Talk. You don't write a TED – nobody gets yeah. a TED Talk written for them. That's your story. It's yeah. It's their story. Yeah. So I thought, well, crap, I should probably just figure out how to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And I was so enamored by the process, the language process, the ideation, the mm-hmm. storytelling, mm-hmm. that I uh, sloughed off my Milligan Communications whole brand and launched articulation and so it was because of the first TED event and so then I became um, I spent another year or two really refining how to coach Mm -hmm. in general how to train in general Mm -hmm. like those were not things that I had been there's no class there's no like school to go to how to start a training business how to start a you know there's a lot more coaching there's Mm -hmm. not I'm sure there's people out there now that like help you in your coaching business but they weren't around yeah, when, when I wanted to started. do this. And I didn't want to be an executive coach. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I'm, there's plenty of folks like that, life coaches. Right. They yeah. do great work, but that's not my jam. No. So, and then in um, 
2010, I did my first TED-like event mm-hmm. uh, for Abbott Labs and Marketing Summit. And a friend of mine was trying to do something different. And yeah. I said, why don't we try what we'd done on the TED stage inside your mm-hmm. Marketing Summit? So we okay. had three inside speakers and two outside speakers. Mm. I coached all of them. And I learned a whole different set of stuff Yeah, that related to, like, the notion of taking somebody that uh and it and it relates to really most of the speakers we work with mm-hmm. they are super bright and super innovative and yeah. creative and passionate but just not a born speaker mm-hmm. different than the yeah. way other side of the spectrum and i've said no to every single person that's come to us asking us to help them become a paid speaker because oh, okay. that's a business model yeah that's not really that's a not, coaching engagement right. <clears throat> and i had that sense <clears throat> early on so mm-hmm. I've separate I always separated yeah. that and not that that many people have asked that but you know I'll get the occasional call hey I want to like get paid for this talk I'll be like call someone else mm-hmm. and I have I have been proving that to be true because there's I'm looking into um taking a few of my talks yeah to a paid place okay. in a whole yeah. different side hustle right and digging into that business is mm-hmm. I've, I've affirmed that I didn't know what I didn't know yeah so anyway, and then by 2012, Ohio State had asked me to help coach their speakers. Their mm-hmm. talks were did not go well that well that mm-hmm. year at all. Okay. <clears throat> and so we refined a process. And my yeah. um, friend Amy Barnes and I took the what I what we did was it was great. We she re, we recorded every call mm-hmm. with every speaker that we coached for yeah. TEDx Ohio State 2012. Their Let's see, they started in 11. Mm-hmm. So, and their eighth event is Saturday. Oh my gosh. I would say that they light a candle to any major mm-hmm. city event. It's okay. spectacular what the students do at Ohio State. It's Very one cool. of my favorites. Nice. Um, and we recorded and we mapped and we did yeah. the process of what that feels like to be not a speaker mm-hmm. and then become a mm-hmm. TED or a TED like speaker. Yeah. And then I decided let's keep rinse washing and repeating that. So we've mm-hmm. probably coached, I don't know, five or 600 people on that method wow. and style for both the TEDx stage. We have an yeah. ongoing contract with a few other TEDx's. Okay. And then um, tons and tons of TED like events. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we got a call yesterday Somebody I coach in Minnesota has an associate going to a conference in Arizona, and there's one session at lunch where they're showcasing three innovative talks in the TED style. Oh, jeez. So. Yeah. No pressure. <laughs> it was totally fine. It's like yeah. you got 10 minutes, and <clears throat> the short talk model mm-hmm. is not easy. No. It's really not. And yeah. so getting less words, it's what's that. And who, more impact. Who wrote that? You know, I would have written a shorter letter if I'd had more time. <laughs> I forget who that's attributed to. I huh. should know. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's a famous quote. Okay. So, wow. Did I answer your question? You did answer my question. I know you're <laughs> and others too. You're such a good storyteller. So the thing that I know about, and I'm I'm not a public speaker. I come to it as an actor, which right. <clears throat> I mean, helps definitely. Right. But would you say that the storytelling aspect? is something that that is really important for people when they do public speaking. Because I know for me that I connect more, and that's why I did this podcast, is like I love hearing people's stories and and digging in. So, like, what's your view on storytelling? I think it's everything. Yeah. Uh, I was going over a talk yesterday. We do a ton of work, and I mean a 
um, inside science, medicine, and research and mm-hmm. data and analytics. That's kind of a place I love to be in. You're only working with smart people that are mm-hmm. uh, wanting to up their game. They spend a whole career head down in their science or their yeah. lab. Yeah. And then how do you bring them up to connect to lay folks? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's that's my, I love that space. Okay. yeah. And then there's all the, you know, there's plenty of business and innovation talks, mm-hmm. but they get a lot more support, you know, the pitch yeah. competitions. Yeah. and right. But the, so we had a team of five researchers, cardiologists, scientists in front of the mm-hmm. Ohio State Medical Board yesterday. There's a, so regardless mm-hmm. of where you're presenting, mm-hmm. but what most data analytics, science, research folks skip is learning how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at an outline yesterday of somebody who's talking about immunology. Mm-hmm. And it was an information wagering. Bless you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I know that you can cut it out. So it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now doing it. I've been fighting for like two minutes. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't don't fight it. Don't, don't fight that feeling anymore. What's that or? I, I think you should sneeze all over. Him. So, it, so, so an information, yeah. So an information waitering about immunology, mm-hmm. and it's it's really like if you talk to anyone who's following immunology, mm-hmm. if you're gonna go and unfortunately be diagnosed with cancer at some point soon in the future, they won't talk to you about radiation, chemo, or surgery. Mm-hmm. It'll all just be about immunology, right? So it's right. really gonna revolutionize a lot of cures. Okay. Um, but I had to really draw out of this lead science researcher, you know, when did when did it matter to you like that mm. this was going to be your yeah. thing? And he says, oh, I don't have a story like that. I just, you know, I've always done it. I said, oh, really? Mm. You know, and so you have to, you have to learn. We've, we have to learn the art of that humble inquiry to just keep mm. saying, I think there's something in there. And, and yeah. I say, well, like, when did you when did you do your first, you know, finding moments, the sort of true north moments, if mm-hmm. you will. And he said, well, yeah. Actually, there was like a paper I wrote once on immunology, and, but mm-hmm. I was a chemist, but it was like, go do something outside of your space. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there it is. Like you that's told your that's your story, <laughs> right? But like, yeah. And then sharing success stories of institutions. There's a lot of resistance to like, that's not my story. That's mm-hmm. someone, that's another scientist story. And realizing that, that the institution owns that story too. And uh, it's a very, it's actually far more delicate than, you yeah. know, like, how vulnerable people want to be, how much detail they can share, how animated they can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I usually characterize the talks that we're coaching are series of short stories Mm -hmm. tied together with a theme and a call to action. That's really what we're doing at the end of the day. Right. Getting there looks more (laughs) like a bowl of spaghetti. It's not so linear. But the but best delivered stories are the ones, the best delivered talks are the ones where they, where I can see, touch, and feel, and taste that. I can Absolutely. see this is a mug, and it's got those words on it, and they're green and blue and yellow, and mm-hmm. I know what those colors are, and I know what a mug is, and I know what coffee sounds like. And mm-hmm. if I can give that, like you do in acting, yeah. if I can land that image right. that the audience can snack on, <laughs> as opposed to being like, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> what are all those big words? Yeah. And I don't know yeah. how to, I don't have any connection with them. So right. for us, um, you know, my uncle, God love his soul, who's passed away. When I told him 10 years ago, I was going to go help people tell stories. He's like, you're going to be a storyteller. Isn't that so cute? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you're kind of missing the, yeah, I'm not missing the point, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it's to me, it's the most important strategy to connect with an audience. I fully agree. And I, I mean, going to when I was an entrepreneur with my business, I see I you used still the word. are one. You're never not going to be. One. OK, so when I was formerly in a different business, being an entrepreneur, I remember because <laughs> I'm a t- I'm terrible. I, I'm I'm rather ADHD. So it's like if you're going to speak to me, you got to get my attention right. or I'm going to shut off. <laughs> And so it's like, I always felt bad at these conferences when we'd have these wonderful speakers come in and everybody's like, oh, I just connected. I'm like, I shut off within the first two minutes of what they said. But there was one gal that came in that literally talked about the art of storytelling. And granted, it wasn't information that was new, but it was like, yes, this is what we need to preach. It's affirming. It is. And I mean, that's because that's truly what we do in our business is I have to be a storyteller if you're going to buy what I'm doing on stage and be a part of it. Right. But I but I want to just bridge to something I've observed mm-hmm. about storytelling and that um, it goes like this, that if you've got a team, so I'm, I have this particular passion inside data and analytics. I okay. would never, I barely passed statistics in college. <laughs> and was never a math person. Yeah. But um, because of the way we manage data mm-hmm. and because of the influence it's going to have, yeah. the stories that we tell from it are going to be really, really important. Yeah. 25 of the top data um, and analytics master's degrees in the country, guess how many of them have any class with communication in it? None. Two. And one of them's like, because they have to do a project. Oh. So we're graduating this like whole generation of really smart, smart mm-hmm. data and analytics professionals. Yeah. And I would say that that also goes for research or mm-hmm. science or medicine. And then they get outside and they can't connect and tell the story. And so yeah. I have a, have a, a, a hypothesis that I'm noodling inside around okay. what kind of storytelling culture are you creating mm. for your folks to become good storytellers? Right. So that means feedback loops. That means mm-hmm. preparation. Um, so I'm going to geek out for a second. I have a son that plays out. chess. Yeah. And I have to listen a lot to chess theory. <laughs> <laughs> I blame my father for this, too. Uh, nothing better than listening to a 12-year-old rattle on about chess theory, right? But okay. the chess has four components. Yeah. Time, space, materials, and development. Okay. And I've kind of said that storytelling cultures have the same. Yeah. Giving people the material is the content, mm-hmm. right? The development, the opportunity to iterate. Yeah. And to get feedback and to know I got to try it again mm-hmm. and it's not easy. Right. right. The time to do so and the headspace to clear out. Mm-hmm. And because I live inside story and chess, <laughs> you figure out ways. But so I'm 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 working on challenging the companies we work with and mm-hmm. the um, cultures around, you know, how are you setting your people up to be successful? Because right. it is not a natural thing they're coming to you with. Mm-hmm. And if you hear the connection, the head of data and analytics, one more geek moment, at Ford, which is arguably one of the largest data groups mm-hmm. in the country now. Yeah. They have a thousand analysts they've assembled. Okay. We'll say it's no longer about just telling what happened, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, being in retrospective analytics. Yeah. It's not about predicting mm-hmm. analytics. It's about being at the table and driving business decisions. Mm-hmm. And so if you're graduate, so you see where I'm, I'm, I found myself at this interesting intersection yeah. now between the TED work and the business work and the consulting mm-hmm. around 
how do we set up those cultures to make people successful? Because yeah. I care a lot about the person who has great ideas but hasn't been hasn't been trained on how to tell them. Mm-hmm. And these are that's there's a that's sea yeah. of people like that. So and I'm married. My... To, I'm married to a data analyst. Yeah. So I'm I'm sitting here like. <laughs> Can I just put Doug on the phone? Can we just call home now? My story, but see, I just told you a story. Absolutely, right? Yes, and I, and that's part of his job is that he has to be presenting all right. the data and and all of that. And I have a few really yeah. great advocates that say if you can't tell me a story about your insights, then this then it doesn't then your insights don't exist. Absolutely, and I don't I don't care about the X Y values and the R code the R. Whatever they are, like you know, there's <laughs> yeah. so many. Yeah, um, it just it, doesn't matter if I'm a lay person, mm-hmm. as smart and as curious as I may be, and as accomplished as I may right. be. But if it's, if you're not translating that into a story that I can appreciate, then it doesn't matter. And that's hard. And I, I, this is my like open forgiveness, honey. You're listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not great at listening. It's like the numbers talk starts, and I just shut down. But again, I, I just kind of sometimes think, is that because I'm a bad listener, or I have ADD. I don't know, but too maybe, yeah, possibly all both, all of the above. <laughs> but it is if there's something that he says, this is here's the numbers, but this is why they are the way they are, and this is what we want to do with it, and this is what's going to make it better. It's just it's it's a really it's actually a pretty simple formula, honest mm-hmm. to God. It's getting those folks, your husband included, yeah. to appreciate telling the bottom line first. Mm. It's no longer the slow reveal. Yeah, that I did this analysis, and then mm-hmm. I did this, you know, computation. I did. They don't want to And then at that. the end, I'll show you my answer. Mm-hmm. No, folks are like you are exactly what the rest of the world is like, quite frankly. Yeah, and I need to know what's the question that I'm answering, mm-hmm. and what's my answer. And then if I have more attention and interest, I'll tell you how I got there. Yeah, but that rigor it's... of moving is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Because you have to organize and structure and right. frame and, you know, and really it's about killing a lot of little darlings that you think are really important, mm-hmm. but the audience really doesn't give a crap yeah. about. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so I have to, okay. we're, we're gonna, I want to ask you a weird question. Okay. Do you get nervous when you speak? No. Never? Nothing. I should say no. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, like adrenaline, I'm sure, but. No, I'm pretty, I'm always hyper prepared i'm not anal but i'm prepared yeah and uh so we'll we'll finish the 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 dad story with where we you know full circle after my father died in 2003 i had to go on the stage at tedx later that year Mm -hmm. and i had a moment where i was like how am i going to find my grounding yeah with him not watching or and he wasn't particularly involved in tedx don't get me wrong yeah and uh, somebody said something really simple to me that I had heard before, but I didn't relate it to myself. I'm like, oh, this would never be me, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about you, Ruth. It has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. This is everything to do with your audience. Yeah. And when I, when you take yourself out of that mm-hmm. and you say, I'm really just a, I'm really just here to give my audience access to, as a host to those speakers, mm-hmm. or access to the yeah. knowledge I have, or access to the call to action, or whatever that behavior is that I think might. Yeah. help just to take yourself you out. never take the folks that come and say i'm super nervous and super anxious you know i kind of say snap out of it like don't make it about yourself because mm. it's self-perpetuating it is and you don't understand that because you're not nervous in front of folks as much you may understand that but y- you and i don't share that no. um challenge mm-hmm. 
So it really does help because you say it's not about you. So it's never yeah. about me. And as and as a result, it's always about the audience and the conversation mm-hmm. and being in the tri- in the terms of a traditional storytelling right. geeks that we all are. <laughs> um, that I'm the Obi Wan Kenobi to the audience who's Luke Skywalker trying to overcome some Darth Vader, right? <laughs> I like that. I'm the whisperer. Yeah. And every speaker we work with, we try to convince them, you are the guide. I promise you won't die at the end of the story because all right. guides die, right? Yeah. But you're the guide to the audience who's the hero. And mm-hmm. if they don't know, if they think that you're the hero, they'll never listen to you. Right. If you're the smartest person in the room, yeah. they don't care because they need to be the smartest people. Mm-hmm. Last night we went, we turned on the TV and the Wheel of Fortune was on. Mm-hmm. And I said to my 12-year-old son. <laughs> uh, was he playing chess at the time? He might have been. <laughs> he has a tournament on Saturday, oh. so who knows? I, you know, I can't tell anymore what's going on. <laughs> um, no more than I can tell what was going on with my 14-year-old daughter, who was somewhere with somewhere else, right? And the teenage years are just, Yay. yeah. You just wait. Oh, uh, don't tell me that. <laughs> but I said, I said, uh, Joseph, do you remember what Grandpa used to say about the Wheel of Fortune? And he'd say, yeah, I know, Mom. It's like, why it's the longest-running game show ever. Can you, do you know why? Mm-mm. Because you don't have to be insanely smart to be on it, is that? No. Because <laughs> the audience always gets the answer before the contestants, because the contestants' goal is to make money. And so they hold on to the, the puzzle as long as they can. Yeah. Where the audience is like, come on, it says hot chocolate, just answer it. <laughs> but huh. the audience always knows yeah. the answer first, yeah. and they always feel smart. Interesting. So you relate that back to the sort of, guide you are and the anxiety and it all ties yeah. together interesting longest show ever wow i guess i never thought about that mm. but i do and he said that like 10 years ago when it was the longest show then and it's still yeah what's you gonna can tell, happen you can, you can tell i had a really smart dad <laughs> you got a, i got a little, little bit of i got a little That's bit amazing. of amazing and a smart mom but he was particular what did your mom do she raised us she was a yeah. gym teacher for a while okay and then she did some you know, she worked in her sorority headquarters, and yeah. uh, she was very involved, at, you know, in the community. And so that's where and, some of that aspect. Yeah, came for in. sure. They both yeah. were very involved in their community. Very cool. Yeah. So, how's that for a ending story? That we started. I love it. It doesn't have to be an ending story, but I want to be. No, it does. So, me and Columbus, we're going to switch gears again. Where is your favorite place to dine? Because you live in the Clintonville-ish area, but what's your favorite restaurant? In well, you know, it's interesting. So uh, one of my children has celiac. Mm-hmm. And so we've really not eaten out hardly yeah. as much as we used to. Yeah. And I find, uh, like, the old standbys, like Giuseppe's and Bexley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I want to go for, I used to, Rigsby's used to be my favorite. Mm. I'm an old school yeah. kind of restaurant yeah. girl. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I love a good spicy scallop roll from Akihana. <laughs> I'm having sushi. Yeah. I'm a fan of Indian. I mean, when I eat out, I try to get stuff that I don't make, right. that my kids don't eat, and that yeah. has, it's usually ethnic. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I have, I've posted about this online. I have a really hard time because I'm 50 now. I think restaurants are too loud. Mm. They're just too loud. You, yeah, can't, you can't have, have a conversation. conversation. You really can't. I mean, I love a lot of places, but yeah, um, I'd say that I, I, if I'm going to go somewhere, I want to go for a, a good mm-hmm. non-American meal. I did read that because you said I'd rather get takeout and sit 
where we can actually sit and chat. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Right. But it depends upon the day. Yes. Yes. Well, and they sit you so close anymore that it's like, hi, new friend. Yeah. Can I hear about your boyfriend's mom? Because that's what's going to happen. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's... For me, I lo- I'm a random stranger person. I had a lovely chat with the man in Burger King yesterday <laughs> because I'm a she dork. She admitted she went to Burger King. It, for I you. felt terrible. You went for the inside rest. Burger King because it was a snow day. Uh huh. Like go, Magon. The Burger King in Clintonville just boarded up. We have no idea what's going to happen to it. Mm. We should get milkshakes there. Well, we they have an indoor play place. My children are far too old and too big for it, and I didn't care yesterday. <laughs> I just you brought, you brought the they were like, Can we go? There's there was this cute little boy in there, and they were like, He's lonely, he needs us. Finally, I'm like, go. <laughs> just go. <laughs> but the father and I had this lovely conversation, and it's does that yeah. that doesn't happen very often no, anymore. It doesn't. It you people know, don't go to restaurants alone often or true. are sitting alone, right? Yeah. But and I, if you do, you usually go with your headphones and your, your head, laptop yeah. and you're like, true. leave me alone. True. Kind of thing. And I will do that because I am a people person that I'll, I'll sit at Panera simply just to be surrounded by people. Again, kind of the oddball. But it's but nobody talks. Right. Or they're shocked when you talk to them. I needed a pencil. And I asked the lady behind, I'm sorry, do you have a pencil by chance? She's like, a pencil? A pencil? That's what she said. She's like, who has pencils anymore? I do, um, and I need one. Do you have one is the question. You know, my daughter wrote a thank you note to somebody, and she was addressing it in pencil. Yeah. And I was like, did I not teach you? Has it been this? Like, have I not taught you that you can't write it? Yeah. She was like, <laughs> No, I don't want to. But it was, right. I was like, oh, my gosh, we don't, like, the right, the art, meaning, like, the art of the art writing, writing and how we use it mm-hmm. and what's the appropriateness. It's, it's right. Lost. Well, and that's. For me, I have to always have a pencil because I'm writing on scripts yeah. and I will change my mind in literally two seconds with what I write. That's why I always have a pencil. Right. And even with my teenagers that I teach, they're like, can I write this in pen? I'm like, I don't advise it because as soon as you write it down, it's going to be, you're going to change it. Right. But that I never imagined a pencil. <laughs> Who has a pencil? That was the most bizarre conversation I've had in a restaurant, and I felt a, a little offended. Oh. <laughs> I do have a pencil. I need a pencil. Do you have one? No? Okay, you're anti-pencil. I'm going to talk to somebody else. <laughs> like, it's a very odd conversation. But I have loved meeting you, and I've loved hearing your stories. And I, I feel like I want to interview you now because, you know, I want to go back and forth. We don't. That's not the, that's not the format I know. So maybe, I don't, maybe I can come back and interview Krista. Scary. Ooh, I like that idea. We're going to be drinking through that conversation. (laughs) We don't sell wine anymore. This doesn't mean I don't drink anymore. (laughs) The snow day's over, honey. Oh, my gosh. I believe I said that at Burger King, too. Like, is it too early to start? And do they serve wine at Burger King? McWine or whatever it is. But no, we're going to continue chatting. Well, and um, we're having our first TEDx salon tonight. We've never done this before, but Megan and Acacia are taking over. Ooh. I just need to make sure that people know that they're taking over the reins of TEDx. Kramer and I have become sort of bored. Okay. And they're really staff. <laughs> like, we sort of graduated because we did it 10 years. Yeah. And loved every minute and every speaker. Yeah. And I'll still be involved. I'm going to. What's a salon? So they're like two speakers. Okay. Uh, it's like an hour like and a half. Smaller. Like a pop up. Okay. TEDx is the best way to describe it. Okay. 10 bucks at the Idea Foundry. Um, and we'll do six of those this year. Very cool. Um, the, the the point is, is that a lot of speakers don't make the big stage or the ideas, mm-hmm. the ideas, the ideas aren't um, sort of strong, um, 
firm enough to do so, meaning like we were pretty discretionary. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity for uh, entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. thinkers and creators that, you know, want to get still give a talk. So That's cool. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It'll be fun. Yeah. So it's not a salon. I was thinking like in a salon, like no, you get your hair no, done no, no, and you no, listen no. to it's a It's more speaker. like the old style, like old style salon. Salon. You know, yes. just quick, mm-hmm. easy. Very cool. So, well, I look forward to that. Thank well, you. Please do come. Thank you for having me. Thank it's you been for a really a great time chatting about story. It's so important. I feel like it's a message that needs to be heard. And I wanted you to come on just because I love you to death, but also because I want people to hear that. Mm-hmm. It's imp- we share a passion for that. Right. And so it's like, come on, everybody get behind it. So well, and I feel like I think there's so much out there already about mm-hmm. it. That's why I'm I'm in the like, what are you doing to support that right culture? Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Right. So thank you. We appreciate it. Foxland Media. Think big.